Well, hey, welcome to the episode number five of my podcast, Roger, um, titled No One Gets a Drug, I think it was No One Gets a Drug Problem When They're Living Their Best Life, part two. Now, it's been over a week since I recorded um, part one. And I was going to listen to part one just to, you know, re- remember what I had said and where I was up to. I remember I cried and I burped. Um, but I didn't want to because I had a feeling that if I listened to that episode, I would be all cringe and not ever want to do another episode. So I haven't. So I, I apologize if I repeat myself with anything that I say in this episode. If I, you know, repeat what I've said um, before, but uh, anyway, so a big thing that stinks out to me is the fact that I cried in the last episode. I and I want to know why, and I've been trying to work out why, and hopefully understand why I I cried. And um, I was telling my mum about it, and she said, "Well, darling, it was a very hard time for you." And I said, "Yes, mum, it was." But at the time, it didn't upset me, and it's been a while now. So why why get upset now? Why, um, yeah, I I didn't have those you know upset feels before when I was in it. So why why am I crying and getting upset now? And looking back, um, when my relationship ended, <clears throat> I what I did was I moved to the coast. So my relationship ended, I moved to the coast because I had these visions of, you know, as much as I knew 110% that not being with this person was what I needed, um, I didn't know, you know, it was, it, you know, as 110%, you know, I knew that I didn't need to be that person to be able to live my best life. Um I didn't know how I might feel in one day, two weeks, maybe in one hour if I was potentially going to get upset. You know, there's like people say about the different stages of grief, you know, how you be, you know, sad, angry, and then you you, you laugh as a coping mechanism, whatever. I didn't know. I had this thought of then being, you know, being upset. And I had these visions of being um being at um, a place here called Baker's Lane um, at five o'clock in the morning, uh, hanging out with people that I didn't even know or care, well, didn't know or care about, um, but drunk, wasted, whatever. Like I, I didn't know how I was going to cope if I, I didn't know what I was going to do or cope or how I was going to cope if I ended up being actually really upset about the breakup. And because I wasn't sure whether I was going to end up being devastated about this breakup, even though I knew 100% that is exactly what I wanted and needed. Um, you know, I was imagining just getting wasted. Like, was I going to go get a dick? Or, like, I just didn't know what I was going to do um, because the last, you know, like back in the day, uh, you know, just having these visions of what I used to be like in my 20s and early 20s with, you know, things and I would just ruin myself. Anyway, so what I did was I decided to, Oh, another thing was as well, I I cannot stand people feeling sorry for me. 
I uh, don't know if I've spoken about this in other episodes before at the start of um, this podcast, but I, um, I, it's funny because I am a carer. I'm, I love being there for other people and I've spoken about being an empath and things and obviously, you know, my career is, is, is caring. Um, but for some reason I can't stand people feeling sorry for me. So I had these visions of walking down one of the main streets, Charles Street, being, you know, walking down aisle three at the Charles Street Coles and someone that I know who's heard about the breakup looks at me and goes, oh, bang, you know, sad face and, and oh, like I just, or, you know, even getting messages of like, oh, babe, heard about the breakup, emoji, sad face, like, oh, my gosh, like I can't even handle that. So what I did was I decided in a random, you know, um, spot of um, maturity, I guess you could say it was, I decided to move to the coast <laughs> because I wanted to feel my breakup feels whether they were going to continue to be as I was at the time or if they were going, my, you know, my mental health was going to decline. You know, I didn't know whether I was going to get, um, want to just get back into uh, the drug or what. I just, I, I was thinking worst case scenario. I didn't want that to happen. So I left Launceston and I moved to the East Coast. And what I did was um, there was no, um nursing work down there but because of um because there's only one nurse in Vishnu um that, that's where it was um and but because of um having hospitality working in the pubs back in the day I got a job straight up um before I moved there actually um working at the local pub there I thought beautiful I just I I'm not in the headspace to be in my profession I needed to just do something a little bit lighter um and um, even though obviously running a, a working hospitality is still a serious job, but just do you know what I mean? Um, and so I I packed up off I went with Mayo, my dog, and moved to the East Coast to Bishno. And um, I ran every day. I exercised. I um, I didn't meditate, but I was practicing mindfulness and I went from what I always had done, which was self-destruction <clears throat> and, um, yeah, negative, um, responses to bad situations or, you know, not ideal situations. Cause we had to like sell a house and stuff. Instead of that, I went, did the exact opposite and went for health and well-being. And so I still drank my beer and smoked my cigarettes, but I ran every day. I did, I worked out at home. I sat in the sun. I listened to one album, Ocean Alley's album on repeat. That was my breakup album. Um, and I, I would run with Mayo until she was running behind me. And, um, and yeah, I just health and fitness. I was probably the healthiest physically that I had ever I've ever been in my life. The, the strongest. I was doing weights, and um, and I started this whole new life in Bishno. It was like, um, you know, I started working at the pub. I met new friends. I literally I got a new phone number actually as well, and I didn't want to um, speak to any anyone, even my friends. Like I have people calling me, must be trying to contact me, and I couldn't deal with it. I just needed to deal with my situation myself in my way. And um, people that were close to me that loved me and respected that would still be my friends at the end of the day. 
The others who didn't love me enough and respect my what I was going through didn't understand it. And there's been a few of them are no longer my friends. And but I just had to do what I needed to do for me. For once in my life, I had to put myself first. So I moved to the coast. I started this whole new mature way of thinking of life of instead of self-destruction like I would always do, I was going to make my life better because that's what I had been wanting for so long was to be happy, just to be happy. And I obviously wasn't living, I wanted to live my best life. That's what I was wanting to do. <clears throat> and I think, so I started, you know, I got new, I got um, new friends. I started seeing a guy down there and it was like a whole new life had started and I'd forgotten about my old one. And, um, and I think what's happened is I've made a conscious decision or effort to actually forget about my addiction, addiction life. And, um, and as well, you know, no more of that relationship meant no more unhappiness and shit feels therefore no more of that drug. Um, and I know I do this when bad things happen, the whole switching off, um, something bad happens and so I just don't want to think about it anymore. You know, like the life that I've been living with this depression, this shit relationship, it was ripped, my soul had been ripped from this relationship, I was addicted to a drug, et cetera, and so it was a bad time of my life. And so it's like I, you know, I moved to Bishnoy and then that life was done. Like I'd completely forgotten about it because it was a bad thing. And I know I do this when bad things happen. I In my life, I sh- it's like I shut them off. Um, like they never happened. An example of this actually is when I was in my early 20s, a friend of mine came down from the mainland to stay with me. Um, she'd never been to Tassie before and she came down to stay with me and I went down to, as a trip, went down to Hobart and long story short, my friend was raped um, in my, um, company, in my care, I guess. Um, I wasn't there when it happened, but, um, we went out to pubs. Um, it was me, it was my friend, um, my sister and myself, and we went out to pubs and and we were at a pub, a particular pub on the, on this particular evening. And, um, my friend was having this great time. She'd met these guys, like there was a, cr- a cricket team. I think there was, a, it was, there were cricket cricketers. Um, yeah, it was a cricket team from the mainland and anyway, everyone, they were all lovely and it was great. It was a good time, whatever. And she's having the best time. We all were, but then my sister and I wanted to go to a different, um, pub or club or something. And so, but my friend wanted to stay there. And I said, look, mate, oh, look, like, you know, like as you, you know, you're drunk and stuff and, you know, your inhibitions are gone, you know, oh, are you sure you want, like, come with us, come with us. Like, no, I want to stay, I want to stay. I'm like, are you sure you want to stay? She's like, yeah, yeah, I've got, babe, I'm fine. Like, rah, 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 you know, totally making it, you know. And so me and my sister were like, all right, okay, are you sure? Cool, made it, made, you know, made it, um, made sure it was okay with our friend that she would catch up with us later at the other pub or club wherever we went. And so off my sister and I go and, we, you know, we, we go off to the other place and, you know, texting her and she's like, she's like, I'm so glad you went because, you, you know, this is all about us all having a good time. She was happy. We were happy. So awesome. No dramas. Wicked. Catch you, you know, catch you in an hour or a bit later. <laughs> and then um, my sister and I, um, I don't know how long, 
we'd been apart from my friend. I can't remember now. Um, and I get to why I can't remember because, well, you know, I shut this, this, this memory out. <laughs> um, so then my sister and I were like, oh, okay, well, we're pretty much done. We'll see where our mate is. Wasn't answering a phone, wasn't writing back. Stress kicks in, obviously, like where the fuck could she be? Um, we called um, the place where, so she was at a pub. That pub had closed by then and because we were at like a, a club, so they were open later and we, she wasn't answering her phone. She wasn't, the pub that we, she was last at, it was closed. Anyway, like, we, we didn't know what to do and we're stressing out and all of a sudden my phone rings and it's her. She's calling us, calling me, and I'm, and I'm like, um, I'm like, hey, like, what the fuck, where the fuck are you? And the, the, the voice on the other end of the phone was like, oh, hi, Georgie, this is Constable so-and-so. Did, would they even have said that, Constable? Well, police officer so-and-so. My heart dropped and my... Um, this police officer had um, called um, my um, my number because my friend had been found um, anyway, like not anyway, but like my f- so my friend was raped, right? And um, and. I don't really want to go into that. <laughs> um, but what happened after that, my parents came down to Hobart and got collected us and went back to Launceston and I had forever blamed myself for that. Here we go. <laughs> and so what I did was, like, I, I just wanted her to go home. I just wanted her to go I couldn't, I couldn't wait for her to go home back to the mainland because then the problem was not the pro- – she wasn't a problem, but the, the bad thing that had happened to her, like, and so, you know, happened to me, was gone. I didn't have to think about it. So I even flew with her to Melbourne. Of course, I was a, an amazing friend while she was still in my company and I did my best to do what I thought she needed. And then – when I stay with her in the Melbourne airport until her connecting flight home, till she was on it. And then once she was on that plane, it was like a massive like weight had been lifted because what was hurting me so much and what I felt so awful for was now out of sight, out of mind. And what happened after that was me, I just went through this thing of I went into this shell of not, I didn't talk to anyone, I couldn't talk to my mum, dad, everyone had to leave me alone. I didn't even want to talk to my friend because talking to my friend made that shit real and I didn't want it to be real. And I've lost that friend because of that. We're no longer friends. And this is like, you know, early 20s. Not that there's a certain age, but this is okay. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, that was my, that's how I cope with that bad situation. I just, I didn't accept it. I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't deal with it. I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I just didn't deal with it. I just shut it off out of sight, out of mind, out of, you know, and so anyway, that is what I think I have done. I did 
with my addiction. It was a shit time. It was an awful experience and it caused a lot of shit. And so I was like, I decided like I did with the, the rape of my friend that I would no longer think about this. And it never had, never happened, never happened. And, um, so yeah, I think that the same thing happened with, with the whole addiction thing. And, um, you know, like why, I mean, why would you think about, um, something, you know, like George, don't think about it, mate. Thinking about this upsets you. So why would you think about it? Something, you know, is going to upset you. And so I, I don't, I didn't. And, um, you know, so back to the whole addiction thing, there is, I didn't realize that was going to, um, (laughs) um, I might have a sip of my beer. Maybe another one. And so the whole point of that, um, that story I just told, um, I kind of like forgot where I'm at now, but like the whole point of uh, giving that example is of bad things happening to me in my life that I then decide to, um, shut away. And that's what I think I did with the whole addiction thing that, um, I was like, this is shit. I'm out, go to the coast, start a whole new life, forget that ever happened basically. And like, because there's a, you know, obviously there's a stigma attached to drug addiction and I've got this written down somewhere. Yeah. So stigma, Google says that stigma is a mark, a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality or person. And the word that sticks out like a sore thumb to me in that meaning is disgrace. And I imagine doing something like, you know, imagine, oh, I don't know if I've like totally gone off track here or not, guys, but just to just to recap, to get myself in 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 the where I'm where I'm actually at, I'm talking about um how I left um home, went to um Bishino to get away from um just to try and deal um with my with my shit in a healthy and positive way as opposed to a negative way and then you know I'm trying to realize like trying to think about why I was crying um like I cried in the last episode or whatever and and you know why didn't I um acknowledge what I you know my addiction and because there is a stigma attached to drug addiction so, yeah, okay, I'm in the right spot now. <laughs> okay, so, you know, and like I said, stigma <clears throat> meaning is that um, is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality or person. And the word that sticks out like a sore thumb to me in that meaning is disgrace. <clears throat> um, disgrace, me, the meaning, um, is loss of reputation or respect as a result of a dishonourable action. Now, Imagine doing something and basically the majority of society to them, it's disgraceful. They are absolutely disgraced in your disgrace. Could you say that? Absolutely disgraced in your behavior, your choices, you as a person. No matter, you know, you you know that your family and your friends love you, they'll always be there for you, and they'll do anything for you no matter what. But there's this huge part of you. They can't help but believe that they are disgraced in you. And that's how that's how I I feel felt. You know, I felt that um everyone 
was just yeah, like it was disgusting. Like I know I know now, I've realized now since the last episode, um, and now that I have needed to speak about this instead of shutting it off and pretending it never happened, because mate, like you just literally talked about something that happened to your friend. Well, I think 20 years ago, oh, no, it couldn't be 20 years ago, you know, early 20s, and you just, bought, you know, cried. So you have not dealt with that. I don't know. I don't know. I just, um, I think it's like a wound. It's like a, a wound that is open and it's never been closed. It's never been repaired. It's a break. It's a snap. It's a fucking, I don't know, a shit show <laughs> and it's never been hell. And I think that's it's never been fixed. And I think that um, that's why I started crying in the last, I know I was talking about my friend Maggie when I started crying. I remember that's what I was talking about. And I think ultimately it's just that I have not spoken about this and I think it's so important that you have to. But, you know, I... I've carried and I think forever I will carry that feeling around with me, in me, that my family and friends and, of course, society think I'm disgusted in me, are disgraced. And as much as I know that I'm a better person now and I am growing as a, you know, positively as a person and that, that's not my life anymore, I I just think forever I will think that people think less of me. Like, and they're my, once again, is it, are they, they're my own issues. You know, like, are they, they are my own issues. That's my interpretation. It's my, I know that my um, twin brother loves me and would do, like, fucking loves me. But he is he is such a good person. He is such he's never even had a cigarette before. Like that's just that's unhealthy. Why would you do that? Like it's all about positivity and um, looking after yourself and you know like da, 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 all these things and like Georgia, like what the fuck, mate? You like literally you piece of shit. Like I can't believe you fucking did that. Like that's what I think that people would think. I'm not just saying, Lena, that that's what you think, but I I have this internal issue with myself, but it's a society I think has enabled me to think like that. Like unless you have experienced addiction, you will obviously never understand it. You know, people say, for example, I'm going to use a man for this example, right? Um, who's um, married and has children or, you know, has children with a partner. And because I've, I've heard this before and I've been around it, you know, how could they choose that drug over their family? I can't believe they would choose that drug over their – I can't believe they would choose choose that drug over their family or whatever. And it's like people, do you really believe that that person has woke – I've said this before – has woken up one day and thought, yes, yep, yep, that's it. I'm going to put 110% into ruining my life. I am going to 110%. Do you know what? Yes. I'm going to actually get hooked, addicted to a drug that's going to fuck 
my life up and my family's life and my children's life. You know, like that doesn't happen. And I've always thought this. And it's not only since experiencing addiction myself that I, you know, that this is how I feel. Like I've always thought like this. And, you know, I just wish other people follow this as well. And, you know, it can't take for every human in the world to experience addiction themselves personally for them to understand it and the world be a better place because that's not going to happen. So how can we? Um, I don't know if I, I – I can't even remember what I spoke about a second ago. Like I don't know if this is going to be making sense, guys, or not, but, like, how can we as as a human race – um, educate and enable the understanding for people inside to understand drug addiction so, you know, people aren't, don't feel like shit. I don't know, like, because I come from a wonderful family. I'm educated and I know my resources and I've got amazing friends and family and stuff, but still, still, I still feel like a piece of shit because I've done what I've done. And if there's other people that aren't as lucky as I am, you know, there's worse outcomes for them. And I don't like how do we educate? <clears throat> how do we educate people? I don't know. The thing is, this I could do a whole entire seven-hour session talking about this. But <clears throat> someone I knew was addicted to the same drug that I was, but to a greater extent. And to a much, a much greater extent and for a much longer period of time. And um, they killed themselves last year. And now remember this is my podcast of my own personal feels and thoughts, okay, and it's, and it's only, you know, it's not what is a, it's not fact, it's just feels. But I just think if people understood, um, you know, people educated, understood addiction and in particular this drug, I guess, um, people more aware, but, you know, and therefore if it was a much bigger understanding, a much more bigger thing in, in life, there'd be more resources, there'd be more, I don't know, you just have every every single human in the world understand addiction and and then you can imagine the flow and effect from the positive flow and effect from that worldwide. And then, yeah, I just, I, I truly believe that person that I know would still be here today and they wouldn't have killed themselves. That's, that's my feels. Mm. Another emotional roller coaster of a podcast episode, guys. Far out. I think I, for a bit, I think I might be done. <laughs> done with this um not done with it but like I might next episode might be something a little bit more light light-hearted but yeah I think I need to maybe write down some dot points for the next episode if I'm going to still talk about this because I just get very passionate and very um yeah I just think education is what do they say knowledge is power Knowledge is power. More people need to have knowledge. Everyone needs to have knowledge in addiction. And that will give them, that would empower. Yeah. Empower good things. 
People would have more support. I'm fine. I'm good. Not everyone is. My friend killed themselves last year. Fuck. Anyway. Drugs are bad, guys. <laughs> Shit. Until next time. It's almost 30 minutes, so i got to stop recording. Bye.